Coming up. Those charges are murder in the first degree after deliberation, a class one felony that carries a potential prison sentence of life in prison without parole. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. And I'm Reed Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. Many of you will know the story of 11-year-old Gannon Stout. The El Paso County Sheriff's Office says that remains found in Florida have been tentatively identified as those of 11-year-old Gannon Stauk. He hasn't been seen since January 27th. His stepmother, Leticia Stauk, was arrested in South Carolina at the beginning of March. Prosecutor in El Paso County is adding additional charges in the case. A judge has just recently decided that Gannon's stepmom will stand trial for murder and the death of her stepson. And on the East Coast, a reputed mobster who many believe had knowledge of the world's most infamous art heist has passed away. The museum is the site of the largest art heist in U.S. history. It's an ongoing investigation, and we really are very hopeful that one day we will welcome those works back to the collection. It's Friday, which once again means Will and I are both here to break down a couple cases we've been following from our partner stations around the country. Let's start with a story you've been looking into, Will. Some news related to a heartbreaking case in Colorado involving the death of an 11-year-old boy. Before we get to this latest update, tell us about Gannon Stauk. Who was he? I mean, Reed, when you think about it, this is an 11-year-old kid. So I think Gannon was like a lot of 11-year-old kids. He liked playing Nintendo, getting cool, smooth haircuts, Taco Tuesdays with his dad. And some of that, actually, we're going to play a little bit of audio from his parents talking about what their memories of Gannon are. But, you know, we're just talking about a kid who's just getting really started out in life in a lot of ways. For that missing 11-year-old boy returned to Douglas County this morning. On day 17, 82 people went out to search for hope. Sky 9 spotted those crews close to Palmer Lake today and all there were 88 people out searching in the area. So as we get tips and leads and information through our investigation, that determines the search areas. What do we know then about what happened to this 11-year-old kid back in January of 2020? Yeah, so prosecutors say that Letitia Stauk murdered her stepson, Gannon, in late January of 2020 and then eventually drove his body to Florida with the body in a suitcase and dumped him under a bridge. It's just, it's such a horrific story. And uh, she actually called police, reported him missing back in uh, January 2020 when this when this happened. And there are a lot of details about that day and then later stories that she allegedly told police that turned out not to be true. There are other details about her renting a car, going to the airport to pick up her husband and coming back home and making up stories about why she uh, had rented this car, according to police and according to prosecutors. Uh, and, and then also she allegedly according to evidence and what police have said, uh, dumped his body uh, in Colorado, went back in early February and picked his body up, rented a van, and drove across the country to Florida, uh, where uh, he he was, again, dumped under a bridge inside a suitcase. I mean, the murder and the details of it, as we know, are, are horrific. He was stabbed. He was shot. Uh, and again, we're talking about an 11-year-old boy. You talked about that window of time before his body was discovered when there was this search for him. I remember seeing a whole bunch of headlines of, of folks out there searching and just hoping for a different outcome. What are the actual charges at this point against Letitia Stauk? 
Yeah, and again, we'll get into the most recent news and, and what we're hearing from Colorado in this preliminary hearing. But the charges against her, first-degree murder after deliberation, first-degree murder of a person under 12, uh, child abuse, tampering with a deceased human body, tampering with physical evidence, seven counts of a crime of violence for using a weapon, uh, and, and then uh, uh, one count of crime of violence causing severe bodily injury or death. So a long list of charges that are, are obviously extremely serious. And Letitia Stauk recently had a preliminary hearing, but she didn't appear in person, right? Yeah, so this preliminary hearing is just about whether this can go forward to trial, whether there's enough evidence. Uh, she appeared uh, just for a brief period of time, is our understanding, by WebEx from the El Paso County Jail. Uh, and then she declined to attend the entire proceeding. So, uh, you know, a, a little bit odd that she's not perhaps appearing herself in court for, for this hearing. And for those of us following this case, this was an opportunity to learn more about how investigators actually connected Letitia Stauk to this case. Let's talk a little bit about what actually happened in the hearing. What sort of evidence did prosecutors present that led a judge to make that ruling that this trial could move forward? Yeah, the judge in this case called it significant evidence, uh, and it includes blood on the walls of Gannon's bedroom, a gun found in Letitia's bedroom that allegedly has her DNA on it. The prosecutors say this was the murder weapon as well. A blood trail from Gannon's room to the garage and also Letitia's sneaker with his blood on it, according to prosecutors. The result of all of this evidence and what came out of this preliminary hearing is that Letitia will indeed stand trial. I know there are also some unrelated charges that have been filed against Letitia Stout. Can you tell us about those? Yeah, I mean, she's also accused of slipping out of handcuffs, uh, attacking a deputy as she was taken from Colorado uh, to Colorado from South Carolina following her arrest. She was arrested uh, back in March of 2020. That was a few months after Gannon disappeared and then after his body was found and she was found in South Carolina. And then also she's facing charges connected to plotting an escape from the El Paso County Jail. And a separate criminal case uh, is pending against her in those uh, separate incidents. Looking ahead, what's next in this case then? When will Letitia Stout be back in court? She will be held without bond and back in court on November 4th for formal arraignment. Uh, the judge has said she must appear in person at that time. Let's end this conversation by bringing it back to Gannon, this 11-year-old boy who had his whole life ahead of him. Have we heard it all from his other family members or his biological parents in all this? Just as Letitia Stalk was arrested back in 2020, uh, there was a press conference. His mother spoke, uh, you know, obviously very emotional at this press conference, and also a letter that was written by his father uh, was read. Here, here's a little bit of what we heard. The Gannon has a story. He's special. And this is his story. Thank you for allowing Gannon to be your hero and sharing him with us. My little boy is not coming home. We will never play Nintendo again. No more Taco Tuesdays. No more smooth-looking haircuts. No more Big Bubba for Mylena. And no more G-Man for the world. Let's move over to Connecticut, where Fox 61 in Hartford has been following the death of an alleged mobster. Investigators have long tried to tie to an art heist. Who was he and what's the connection to this art heist, Reed? Well, I'll start by saying this is going to be quite a journey, so stick with me. This man was 85-year-old Robert Gentile, 
And according to a story in the Associated Press, his attorney said he died on September 17th after a stroke. And he's a guy who's long believed to have been involved with the mob out in Connecticut. He's been in and out of prison over the years. The most recent stint was for gun charges, and he was released in March of 2019 on that. To your second question, investigators have long believed he had connections to suspects in an art heist in Boston that he might have known something about where these stolen paintings ended up. The suspects that they had in that case passed away, and that left Gentile as the last surviving person of interest in this case. And because it's unsolved, we're now kind of left to wonder if investigators' last chance at figuring out where those paintings are was buried along with Gentile. Reed, tell me about this heist a little bit. What happened? How big of a deal was it? This happened at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. And to answer your second question first, according to the museum's website, it's the single largest property theft in the world. And it's apparently a big enough deal that this happened over three decades ago, and the museum is still offering a $10 million reward for information that leads to the recovery of the stolen paintings. If you're looking for a more detailed account of what happened, there's a Netflix miniseries on the heist that came out last spring and got a lot of attention called This is a Robbery. I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's any good, so don't come after me if you hate it. But uh, the shorter version of what happened is that in 1990, two men dressed up as police officers. They're actually let into the museum by guards. As soon as they got in there, they tied up the guards in the basement. And then the museum had motion detectors, so they actually have a record of the thieves' movements throughout the museum during that night. They started out in a room called the Dutch Room, where they took a couple of Rembrandt paintings and a Rembrandt etching. They took a Vermeer, a Flink, and an ancient Chinese bronze beaker that probably isn't worth as much as the others. But from there, they moved on to the short gallery. They grabbed five Degas drawings and a bronze eagle finial. I don't know what that is. They then finished up in a room called the Blue Room where they took a Manet. Um, they left the museum around 2.45 a.m. Police arrived. Five and a half hours later, the guards were still handcuffed in the basement. It's just insane. And, you know, with names like Rembrandt and Manet, I, I'm assuming these are just ridiculously valuable paintings. Yeah, that's right. The 13 works of art that were stolen are valued at around $500 million altogether. So I, I think it's a fairly safe assumption that the thieves knew their art. They knew exactly what they were after when they went into the museum that night. And interestingly, I was looking through the archives of our Hartford station, Fox 61, and they ran an AP story in 2015 talking about surveillance footage that was released then by investigators showing that someone was actually let into the building around 12.49 a.m. on March 17, 1990, which is a day before the heist began, so not the night of the heist, the night before, and the person left in a vehicle that was similar to the one authorities think that the thieves showed up in. So, you know, we don't know why the guard let that person in, if it's actually tied to the heist, but just a detail that, that I thought was super interesting. How does the mob come into this picture then? So as I mentioned, this still is unsolved, but in 2013, the FBI gave some information, some insight into their investigation, saying that they believed the perpetrators were tied to organized crime in New England. They also offered some information about a sale of the paintings or a, a, an attempted sale. They were offered for sale in Philadelphia at some point in the 2000s. Uh, but that that's apparently the last known trace of them. They've also said that they had two suspects who they believe committed the crime, but that those suspects are dead. Okay, so this mob tie, that's where Robert Gentile comes into the picture then? Right. According to that new AP article I mentioned earlier, investigators have long believed that he knew more than he's let on over the years, which hasn't been anything. And they actually believe that he might have been in possession of at least some of the stolen artwork for some period of time. And that's some information that 
came from the widow of another reputed mobster. And maybe the, the biggest clue here related to Gentile is that when authorities searched his home prior to his most recent conviction in 2013, which was for gun and drug charges, federal agents apparently found a handwritten list of the paintings, along with kind of what they're worth, and then a news article about the heist. And an important detail here, the article was from the day after the heist. So if he wasn't involved in the heist, he at least was very interested in the heist from day one. He, of course, always maintained that he didn't have any knowledge of it, wasn't involved in it. Maybe federal agents were hoping they'd get some sort of deathbed confession, but that didn't happen. Robert Gentile went to the grave maintaining that he had no knowledge of where the paintings were. And you said Gentile was the last surviving person of interest. What does that mean for the investigation? It's kind of a, a lame answer, but but I'd say time will tell. If Gentile truly wasn't involved, then maybe it means nothing. But if you think Gentile was involved or does have knowledge, then kind of how I see it is that there are two ways of looking at it. One, the FBI lost its last or one of its last remaining potential sources of information, and that that can't help the investigation. But on the flip side, maybe someone who does know something could feel a little more liberated to go to authorities now that Gentile is dead. You, you never know. I mentioned that the museum is offering that $10 million reward, and $10 million is a pretty powerful motivator. And the museum has actually left the empty frames of these paintings hanging. And to quote their website, it's as a placeholder for the missing works and as symbols of hope awaiting their return. So hopefully we'll see those paintings back in those frames someday. I mean, you never know what you're going to find in the attic or the yard sale, right, Reed? That's exactly right. I know every yard sale I go to, I keep an eye out for a Rembrandt. All right, Reed, we'll keep an eye on the story. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We are here five days a week, Monday through Friday, with a new story every day. Also, check out our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles. For The Daily Crime, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redmond. <laughs>